Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Psalm 23. And especially today, I want to encourage you to take something to write on. That's a piece of paper, the back of your hand or your phone or something. And something to write with, a pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, Crayola, your thumbs. Because I believe that God wants to give us something very practical as we dig into His Word. So I start with a question. What do you do when you face the dark night of the soul? Maybe you call it the valley of the shadow of death. How do you navigate those difficult moments, the tough times? Most of us have lived long enough to know that life is not all green pastures and still waters. There are hard days. What do you do? There's one central truth I want you to get as we dig back into Psalm 23. When you're walking with Jesus, even life's darkest valleys are just temporary. He's always going to bring you through. Let's look in Psalm 23, beginning in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He (laughs) restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These words inspired by the Holy Spirit of God as are all the scriptures penned by King David. He was a king. He was a shepherd. But he writes this as a sheep. If the Lord is his shepherd, then he is necessarily a sheep. And I mentioned to you that more than 200 times in the Bible, you and I, those who are followers after God, we're the little Christ, the one who have seen his way and we're seeking to walk in his way. It calls us, guess what? Sheep. Dumb, dirty, defenseless sheep. So like David, we probably need to learn something about that journey. So let's do this. Let's stand together again and let's read this aloud. Psalm 23, beginning in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray once more. So again, Father, in the name of Jesus, we have opened your perfect word, and we have read aloud, knowing that you tell us at the end of the book, those who read aloud your word are blessed. So we thank you in advance for the blessings coming our way. Lord, here's what we ask as we study perhaps the most familiar chapter in all the Bible. Give us what we don't have. Teach us what we don't know. Make us what we've not yet become for your glory. Lord, this preacher is a dumb, dirty, defenseless sheep, utterly dependent on you, my good shepherd. So I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you. You're my strength and my only hope. Move me out of the way and speak. And then, Lord, may those words encourage where encouragement is needed, giving comfort. Lord, may they convict where conviction is needed, giving clear direction. Lord, I pray that today would mean the difference between death and life for someone who hears these words. And so I ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last week we looked at verse 3. I want to just read it again to you. He restores my soul. Doesn't that just have a great ring to it? Let's have some participation. Raise your hand if you've ever needed God's restoration in your life. <laughs> Hint, you should be raising your hand. We've all had those times where, like sheep who are prone to wander, we've wandered away from the things that are good, from the things that are of God, and we need to, that word literally means to be brought back, to, to be fixed, to be made right, to be restored. He restores my soul. But why? He leads me in these paths of righteousness for His name's sake. The psalmist David understood something that too often we forget, everything about our lives. Paul would put it this way, whether we're eating or drinking or sleeping, whatever we do, everything should be for the purpose of bringing glory and honor to God. We should point to Him. We should live reflecting His name and His character to the world that is watching around us. So He restores our soul. Yes, He brings us back in line with Him. But he does that for the purpose of bringing honor and glory to himself. That includes those valley moments of life. Those times when we feel like God is distant. Those times that we don't understand how we're going to make it through. It's interesting to me that David makes this transition because it clearly depicts the same shepherd who is leading us in the paths of righteousness for his glory, for his namesake, is also leading us into the valley moments. We could only assume also for his glory and for his namesake. 
So before I say anything else, perhaps I should stop and ask, as you're thinking about that dark night, that difficult time, that valley moment in your life, has God been getting glory through your dark days? Have you remembered the truth that when we're walking with Jesus, even life's darkest valleys are temporary? That he's always in the process of bringing us through. That's what verse 4 is going to illustrate. Look at it again. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You've probably heard this at a funeral. That's the verse that sticks out in death and dying. And so for many, it's the last words they utter before breathing their last. And for many of us, it's the words we find comfort in as we grieve one who has passed. And this psalm, often spoken at funerals, is certainly in context when that is the case. That's an appropriate use. But that is not all it's about. That's not all it's about because that's not the kind, only kind of loss that we have. The loss of life is painful. It's worth grieving, but there's so many other losses And we've come through a period, we're still in this season, a worldwide awareness of valley, of loss. Some have lost loved ones in these moments and they've not been able to grieve well. Some have lost opportunities. You were supposed to have a graduation or a homecoming dance or something significant in your educational pursuit, and it had to be canceled. Some have lost marriages because of the emotional and mental despair that's gone on in the midst of these difficult days. Relationships have been broken. Careers have been lost. Dreams have been shattered. Financial stability has disappeared. And this worldwide pandemic has wreaked havoc. So what about those kind of losses? What can this verse say to us in the dark days we're living in? Let's just go by word by word. Even though. At the beginning of this verse is a clear implication. We're going to have difficult days. If you've hung out here in our church, this is one of my favorite things to remind you of because I want you to be prepared. There are storms all around us. You're either coming out of one of life's storms, you're in the middle of one of life's storms, or though you may not realize it, you're headed directly into one of life's storms. We don't like those stormy times in life. We don't like the difficult days, but they are a reality. For today's purpose, I want us to think about those as the even though moments. Say, even though. And here's the principle. Even though moments are those times in our lives where we must decide if we believe what we say we believe about God, even though we're walking through a tough time right now. When we began this study, I I told you that in our journey of faith, we say we have this theology, this knowledge of God. And we say these are things we believe. But having been a Christian for 52, or for many of my 52 years and having pastored for almost 30 years, I've watched and here's what happens. You start with this set of belief and of doctrine and then too often the circumstances of life 
or maybe even worse, our feelings cause us to adjust what we believe. In the study of ethics, that's called situational ethics. You adjust your view of right and wrong based on the situation. And that's what some of you have done. You know what Scripture teaches you should believe about God and how you should respond, but you get in the midst of a situation and you let your feelings or your circumstance guide your belief. The psalmist here is going to tell us that's not okay. We want to get to the point where even though we're going through difficulty, we find a way to trust God. Maybe in Scripture, Job is the best example of this. We're told that Satan and God are having this conversation in the heavenlies and really in what is one of the most frightening passages of Scripture to me because of what Satan says to God. He goes to God and he says, I I want to test your servant Job. And God says, sure, he can handle it. And that just makes me step back and think, I'm not sure how all this works, but God, if you tell him I can handle it, please be confident I can handle it. And God says, just don't don't kill him. And Satan listens, and he does pretty much everything but kill him. We read chapter after chapter of just the loss and the darkness and the valley moment in Joe's life. And yet, in chapter 13 and 15, he says this, Though, or even though, he slay me, I will hope in him. That's understanding the even though. That's getting to the point where you say, I'm not going to let the circumstance or, or my feelings about the circumstances control my trust. I'm going to trust. Even though I walk through Now that tells me there's a way through. Say, there is a way through. Some of you haven't understood that. You're going through a challenging time and you've given up. That's what depression does to us. Makes us want to quit. That's why some attempt to or succeed in taking their own life. They become hopeless. They assume that the valley is a stopping point. And yet scripture says there's a way through those even though moments. God doesn't intend for us to stay there. The valley was never supposed to be a final destination. In fact, dark days are not dead ends. God always brings you through. That's what he does. And some of you today, you're in the midst of that and you're thinking, I don't, I don't know if I can get through it. And I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it is COVID and the impact that it's had on your life. Or, or, or maybe it's just all these other things, the political tension, the racial tension, the, the strife in society. Or, or maybe you're one of like so many people that I just feel for, I pray for. You're living in physical pain and the doctors can't really do anything. And so every day you wake up in that physical pain and that just causes emotional pain and you want to give up. And I'm here to tell you, even in those moments, even through that, there is a way through. Psalmist says in Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. If you've ever flown You've probably experienced this when you're flying through a storm. The captain comes on the intercom and he says, Ladies and gentlemen, 
please make sure your seat belts are securely fastened. We're going through a storm, and we believe there's going to be some turbulence. We had hoped to go around the storm, but we're unable to do that. We're having to go through the storm. My wife flying with me, she really hates to hear those words. And when the captain comes on the intercom, she begins to grasp my arm. And for however long that storm endures, the circulation is cut off and blood begins to trickle from where her fingernails have entrenched themselves in my skin. We're going through the storm. And it's bumpy and it's shaky and you're wondering, is this it? We're waiting for the oxygen mask to fall down. And then in an instant, like it was always planned, you come out the other side. And it's sunny. And you're through the storm. That's what he's describing here. There is a way through. You can make it through this. Think about David. I mentioned he had lived a little life. He had learned a lot. Like, like he, had, he knew what it was like to go through the valley of suffering. Saul had tormented him. But guess what? David make it, made it through that valley. He knew what it was like to go through the valley of sin. Not only with Bathsheba, but in the murder of her husband. But he made it through that valley. He knew what it was like to go through the valley of sorrow. But understand this, friend. He made it through the valley, even when he lost his child. There's always a way through. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. I'm walking through where? The valley of the shadow of death. There's some words in the Bible that need no explanation. Most people can understand valley. It's a low place. We've got all different ages in this room, many different ages listening to this message. But we've had different low places in our life. And like David, for some of you, the low pace was called by Suffering for others, it was caused by your sin. For others, it was caused by unexplainable sorrow. But you're in a low place. We want the mountaintop. <laughs> That's where we want. We'd be crazy if we didn't want the mountaintop. But all of a sudden, we find ourselves in the low place. And the fact is, that's just part of it. We, we can't go from mountaintop to mountaintop. You can't get to the next mountaintop without going through the low place. Kimberly's parents grew up in Colorado, and so when they retired, they moved back there, and we would fly into Denver, and then we'd usually rent a car and drive across the Rockies over to the western slope where they lived in Montrose. And just as we would get outside of Denver, we would begin to go up one of the big peaks, one of the mountains, and we would weave our way up, and we would journey up, and we would watch the beauty, and then we would speed our way down. And then we'd get to the bottom, and you know what we'd do? We'd weave our way back up to the top of the mountain. Then we'd get up to the top, and sometime, even in the summer, we would see snow on the top of the mountain, and then we would weave our way back down. That's the journey. And so it is with your life. You, you wish that everything was a mountaintop experience, but the truth is, life has a lot of valley. This word literally describes deep darkness. The gloom, 
the despair, the agony. We can't really know if David was referring to a real place, but we can presume upon him a little bit. If you visit Israel today, as I did just before the pandemic, you can stand outside of Jericho and look toward Jerusalem and see what archaeologists call the Valley of the Shadow of Death. In fact, there is a monastery built up in the cliffs there where it's believed that Elijah fed the ravens. But this valley weaves its way from Jericho to Jerusalem. At some points, it's only about a foot wide. When the snow begins to melt off the mountains or the waters begin to rush through, what, what takes place is even that valley can become a dangerous place. You're in danger from nature. You're in danger from animals. Throughout history, you could be in, nature, you could be in danger from bandits. In fact, some theologians believe it was this valley of the shadow of death that Jesus is referring to when he tells the story of the Good Samaritan and how he's on a journey, and yet he's overcome with bandits, with thieves and robbers. So you can understand why this could be looked at as a dangerous place, but then let's put ourselves in the position of the sheep. It was a necessary place. Every year about springtime, because of the change in climate, the shepherds would want to move the sheep. They would want to move the sheep upward to a higher place. So they would begin their journey to the mountaintop, but in order to do that, they would have to go through the valleys. The sheep understood that in order to get to the greener pastures, they had to go through the dark valleys. They couldn't be avoided. There was no bypass or magical escape. They had to go through the valley. That's the only way to get to the summer pastures. And the same is true for us. I'm not sure we're understanding on this side of heaven. And frankly, I don't think we'll care when we get to heaven. But the reality is sometimes we have to go through the valleys. But we're going through. You see, when you're walking with Jesus, life's dark at valleys are always temporary. He will bring us through. Those darkest valleys often bring the greenest pastures. But there's more in this little part of the verse. Notice he said it's the shadow of death. What do you know about shadows? Have you ever been afraid of a shadow? Sometime I'll be sitting, and even this morning I, I was sitting, I was studying, I was reading God's Word in a chair with a little lamp on as the sun was coming up. I was looking out the window into our yard, and, and I thought someone walked by. I thought, well, that's odd. It's early in the morning, and this is my yard! And so I got up, and, and you know what it was? It was a shadow of a bush. As the sun was rising, it was just beginning to move. This is what I know. None of us have ever been bit by the shadow of a dog. None of you have ever been shot by the shadow of a gun. None of us have ever been pierced by the shadow of a knife. And so I think it's interesting that the the psalmist is telling us, even in this scary place, this was just a shadow of death. Now the good news, that I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but there is one who faced more than a shadow. You see, when Jesus died on that cross, 
He faced the real thing. It wasn't just the shadow of death. He took it all. And because Jesus experienced death for you and death for me, then death for us is only a shadow. Even death is just a pass-through from this life to the next. Something else about a shadow. You can't have a shadow without light. And so some of you, you're going through the valley right now and you feel like it's the shadow of death. I just want to remind you, as you see that shadow, I want you to think about the light. The light of the world that extinguishes all darkness. Darkness can never extinguish light, but light extinguishes darkness every time. And then he says, I will fear no evil. Hmm. A lot of fear in the world today. Are you afraid? Afraid of getting sick? Afraid of dying? Afraid of what's going to happen in this crazy economy? I see people gripped by fear, and yet as I open God's Word, man, if there's one common theme, He says again and again and again, do not fear. Do not be afraid. I'm reading through the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament, time and time again, it says, be bold, be strong, be courageous. That's the opposite of fear. When I look in the New Testament, I see Paul talking to his young apprentice, Timothy, and he says, hey, God's not given you a spirit of fear. He's given you power and love and a sound mind. If you're a follower of Christ, the only thing you should have fear of is the fear of God. Any other fear is sinful in your life. He says, I will fear no evil. Now remember, he's a sheep. How does a dumb sheep decide to fear no evil? Well, that's found in the next words. You are with me. I want us to say this phrase. Say, you are with me, God. The psalmist said, you are with me. If you're a sheep and you're in the valley, you had better be focusing on the shepherd. And some of you, number one, you don't realize you're a dumb and you're dirty and you're a defenseless sheep. But you're in the valley and your focus is on the valley. All you're focusing on is how bad things are, how dark it is, how scared you are, and the shepherd is with you. If you're a sheep in the valley, you better be looking at the shepherd. That's why David does something interesting. Did you catch it? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He changes from the third person to the first person. This is big. You got your seatbelt on? He moved from talking about God to talking to God. I've been doing this a lot of years, herding sheep. You know what some of your problem is? You've never moved from the third person to the first person. You got a lot of head knowledge. You could tell the Bible stories. You may could teach a class. You show up. You may give in the offering plate. But you've never made it personal. And so at the end of the day, the Lord is not your shepherd. 
You may be religious. You may be going through rituals. But you've not made it personal. And David knew the Lord was with him. See, you can be very comfortable talking about God and not used to talking to God. But amidst life's greatest pain and deepest hurt, you need a present God, not a distant deity. You need someone that you know is with you. That's why it's so significant in Matthew 1.23 that when we're told what Jesus will be called, we're told, you shall call his name Emmanuel. Because what does that mean, church? God is with us. He is a with us God. And, and so that same, past, that same shepherd that, that makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside the still waters is now leading us through the valley, and he is with us. Like he, like he was with those young Israelites in Babylon in the fire and in, in the lion's den. Like Isaiah understood in Isaiah 43, too, when he said, when you pass through the waters... I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. I want, I want you to hear what he said, though. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That's present tense. You got that? That means when you're in the valley, you have a right now God. He's always on time. He's never late. Seldom does he show up early. He's going to be there right when you need him. But there's something else. He says, you are, present tense, with me. You're here. When you're in the valley, you need a right here God. You need to know that you're close by, that you can call on him. And some of you have gotten to a place where really you're treating God like this distant deity that you can't really approach, you can't really talk to. And I'm just, I'm telling you as I read the scriptures, that's not what's described. You need a right here, right now God, and that's who he is. And he can handle it. Because this is what we know about shepherds. A, a good shepherd... They never take the sheep where they have not been themselves. So there's nothing you're facing in this valley that's catching our God off guard. COVID, he knew it was coming. America's political silliness, I'm thinking he shakes his head, but he knew it was coming. Whatever you're facing, the death of a loved one, marital strife, agonizing pain you live in, it hasn't caught him by surprise. So what do we do? It's your rod and your staff. The shepherd had two tools. You're familiar with the staff, probably. This is not a shepherd's staff. This is Paul's pole. My friend Greg gave this to me, and I can use it as a walking stick. But a shepherd would use a staff kind of like a walking stick, but, you know, it would be a little taller, and it would have a crook on the end. And they would use the crook kind of to get the sheep or the goat, by the neck and, and kind of guide it. You're familiar with the staff. A lot of you are not familiar with the rod. And the rod would have looked a lot like this even in the days of David. This is not a shepherd's rod. This is Pastor Nick's hippo club 
that he got uh, from Kenya. This is what the Maasai warriors use. And if you could just hold it, you can get a good grip on it. I mean, you could hurt somebody with this thing. But this is actually what the rod would have looked like. Maybe with some metal that they put on the end just for safekeeping. Like, this is my rod and I know how to use it. Right? And so what would they do with the rod? Well, the rod was for the protection of the sheep. So the shepherd really may beat off some of those other animals that would come after them. The, the staff was for the direction of the sheep. The rod was for the protection. So the rod was so that they could guard the sheep. The staff was so that they could guide the sheep. And David's saying, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So now we're looking at this many years later, and we have the ability to just think through, well, what could he be meaning? How does that apply to our life? And you know what theologians have said? The rod is the word of God. We have the Word of God to guard us, to protect us, to show us what we need to know. That, that's why at the end of the New Testament, it says, this book gives you everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. There's no situation you're going to face where you say, well, that's not in the book. That's why when we go through things in church life or, you, or you're facing thing, things in your family or personal life and you come and talk to me or one of our pastors, what we're going to first say to you is, well, what does the Bible say? Because that's your rod. That's what God's given you. And then what is the staff? The staff is the Spirit of God. And the Bible tells us that when you begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God dwells you. Your body becomes the temple of God. And the Spirit of God will never, no, never, not ever lead you. He's always with you. And what is He doing? He's guiding you. And He's called our comforter. And so that begins to make sense. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And that's what you need in the valley. Comfort. We're going to get through this. I'm with you. It's going to be okay. And when God is with you, there's always comfort in the valley. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So here's the question. Are you in the valley? Are you overwhelmed with loss in your life? Are you at that place where you're trying to make sense of the things that have happened? Maybe personally, but maybe there are things that are happening all around us. And this is just one of those even though moments. And, and you, you're trying to figure out, okay, is this faith, is everything I believe, is it real? Or am I going to let these circumstances around me, am I going to let the feelings I'm experiencing really determine what I truly believe? I mentioned there's all kinds of even-though moments in Scripture, and one of the examples is found in the minor prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk begins by just reminding us of yet another time the children of Israel are being exploited. I mean, a tough time in their constant journey of mountaintops and valleys. But at the end of the book of Habakkuk, we've got a great declaration. And so the prophet himself is moving from complaint 
to contentment. And that's where I want to help you get. Because truth be known, it's just us here. For some of you, everybody around you knows your life's just one big complaint. You're so focused on the valley. And I want to lead you toward contentment. So this is what Habakkuk says. Everything's been devastated in Israel. And he says, verse 17, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olives fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, there'll be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on high places. Do you hear that? Even though everything around me is falling apart, I will find strength in the Lord. I will rejoice in the Lord. That's how a God-fearing person responds to the valley. You were made for high places. You weren't made for the valley. Stop thinking that's your permanent home, that that's your destination, that that's a a dead end. God's entrusting you to wait on Him. That's the message of Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall what? Mount up with wings, because you were made for high places. Valleys of life are real, but they're always temporary. But it's in learning to navigate those even though moments of life that we find the pathway from complaint to contentment. So let's make this real practical. Here's what happens too often. We come to church and you know, even if the Word of God's read, that means God's speaking because it's alive. So God's speaking And maybe we're sensing something, but too often we take what happens in those moments and we leave it like a dirty bulletin left on our chair. I want you to make this personal. So take out whatever you have to write with. I'm asking everybody to do this, whether it's a piece of paper or whether it's that note on your phone and something to write with, whether it's those different utensils or whether it's your thumbs. And I want you to just write some of these even though things out. And let me help you. As I did this, because I've done this, as I did this, I wrote, even though I slowly watched my dad die, I wrote, even though I had to pastor a church during a pandemic and I had no idea what to do. I wrote, even though my son didn't get to have homecoming and another son had his graduation all conflated. Even though my son and now daughter-in-law's wedding plans were impacted by this illness even though I got COVID (laughs) even though I battled some depression 
What's your list? Stop looking at me. Are you going to use this time? What are the losses in your life? What did you not get to do? What hasn't turned out the way you thought it would? This is a very important step. But I want you to understand we can't stop here. Any counselor would say you have to accept loss. You can't grieve until you begin to acknowledge what you're dealing with. We accept loss. But as followers of Christ, we're not defined by loss. So, we don't stop with the even though. We then do a portion under this called, you were with me. Right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. So I want you to look back and some of you need to see where God was during this. So I would say, God, as hard as it was, you were with me. During that illness with my dad and his death. God, you have been with me when surprisingly we decided a year ago to move my mom to Tampa. God, you've been with my boys as they adjusted like champs to changes and curveballs thrown their way. God, you've been with me even when I was discouraged. What about you? Make it practical. How has God been with you? Take a moment, write this down. You were with me.
Every summer, those sheep had to go through the valley. I can't tell you when your next valley will be, but it's coming. Are you walking with the shepherd? See, when you're walking with Jesus, life's darkest valleys, they're always temporary. He'll bring you through. If you're not walking with the shepherd, I'm just telling you, you're on your own. That's a scary place to be. In John 10, Jesus says he's the good shepherd. He says a lot in that great passage about what that means, how he cares for the sheep. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me, I know them. And in that context, he says, and as a result, nothing, say nothing, nothing can snatch them out of my Father's hand. If you're one of His sheep, He's with you no matter what. You know what the shepherd does with the rod at the end of every day? He holds it up kind of like this. And the sheep see the rod and they walk under it. These dumb sheep, they've learned to walk under the rod But this isn't for the purpose of a trick. You know what the shepherd's doing? At the end of every day, he's counting the sheep. Because the shepherd always knows where the sheep are. And if you're a child of God, if you've got that relationship with Jesus, he knows right where you are. If you're not a child of God, If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that's the most pressing and important and urgent need in your life. According to Scripture, if that's not dealt with, when your life ends, you'll spend eternity separated from God. And that's not His desire. He desires an intimate and a personal relationship with you. So I want to invite you to begin that relationship today. It's as simple as acknowledging how much you need him because of the sin in your life. That's why Jesus had to die. He paid for your sin, for my sin. It's asking him to forgive you and and receive the forgiveness that he's already made available. And it's trusting him with control of your life. I want to invite you to do that right now if you've never done that. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? So Father, as we kind of wrap this up, I just pray that you would... Give clarity to any decisions that need to be made. Lord, for that person, maybe they they know they're your child, but they've wandered away and they're in the valley and they feel alone. May they sense your presence. God, may this be a time where they just kind of re-up their trust for you. But Lord, for that person that needs a relationship with you, God, even now, whether in their words or in these words, would you give them that ability just to cry out? And if that's you, maybe you would pray this simple prayer. Just say, Dear Jesus, Jesus. It's you and him. Just say, Jesus, I know I need you. I know I need you. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I need a shepherd. I believe you died for me. 
And I know you're alive today. So I receive your forgiveness. And from now on, I'm following you. That's awesome. Tell him thank you. Say thank you, Jesus.